This is the 18th episode of Kimchi Slaps by Your Funny Ani, where I tell you what slaps for the week. This week on Kimchi Slaps by Your Funny Ani, episode 18, I will be reading uh, All About Love. We're on chapter 10 now, and I'm going to try to make this ASMR. I'm also currently doing a live. Did anybody actually Google what ASMR stood for? Uh... <laughs> my, my, I called it a microwave when I meant microphone. Anyways, <clears throat> I'm going to try to find a soothing part of my voice and read this to give you um, hopefully some relaxation. I was just thinking how rough these weeks, weeks have been with um, all the stuff about the shootings and just... It's, it's, it's a lot, man. So, um, yeah, this is a microphone that I've had. Um, I have a really basic setup for my podcast. So this is the recording for the podcast that I'm going to be reading a chapter and I'm going to do it like an ASMR. Oh, wait, somebody looked it up. Autonomous, autonomous, (laughs) autonomous sensory meridian response. Okay, uh, I know about as much as I did know as ASMR, but okay, here we go. I'm going to try to be soothing for y'all. Chapter 10, Romance, Sweet Love. Sweet Love say, sorry, I already read it wrong. Okay, it's not, okay, you know what, dust it off and try again. Here we go. Sweet Love say, where, how, and when. What do you want of me? Yours I am. For you I was born. What do you want of me? Saint Teresa of Avila. You know Saint Teresa was problematic, right? I mean, that's okay. To return to love, to get the love. (coughs) This is not ASMR, is it? (coughs) I have like a... Sorry, my throat. What's going on? Okay, okay, I'll try again. Here we go. Soothing sounds. That's what I'm going for. I'm going to try to find the soothing part of my voice for y'all. To return to love, to get the love we always wanted but never had, to have the love we want but are not prepared to give, we seek romance. Oh, no, I read it wrong again. We seek romantic relationships. We believe these relationships more than any other will rescue and redeem us. True love does have the power to redeem, but only if we are ready for redemption. Love saves us only if we want to be saved. So many seekers after love are taught in childhood to feel unworthy, that nobody could love them as they really are. And they construct a false self. Shit, that really hits me in the gut. That was my commentary and not part of the book. Continuing on. In adult life, they meet people who fall in love with their false self. But this love does not last. At some point, glimpses of the real self emerge and disappointment comes. Rejected by their chosen love, the message received in childhood is confirmed. 
nobody could love them as they really are. Few of us enter romantic relationships able to receive love. We fall into romantic attachments doomed to replay familiar family dramas. Usually, we do not know this will happen precisely because we have grown up in a culture that has told us that no matter what we experienced in our childhoods, no matter the pain, sorrow, alienation, emptiness, no matter the extent of our dehumanization, romantic love will be ours. We believe we will meet the girl of our dreams. We believe someday our prince will come. They show up just as we imagined they would. We wanted the lover to appear, but most of us were not really clear about what we wanted to do with them, what the love was that we wanted to make and how we would make it. We were not ready to open our hearts fully. In her first book, The Bluest Eyes, novelist Toni Morrison identifies the idea of romantic love as one of the most destructive ideas in the history of human thought. Wow. Do you feel the ASMR in my voice? I'm trying. But that sentence right there is powerful, is it not? Okay, continuing on with the reading. Its destructiveness resides in the notion that we come to love with no will and no capacity to choose. This illusion perpetuated by so much romantic lore stands in the way of our learning how to love. To sustain our fantasy, we substitute romance for love. When romance is depicted as project, or so the mass media, especially movies, would have us believe, women are the architects and the planners. That's the stereotype, isn't it? Everyone likes to imagine that women are romantic, sentimental about love, that men follow where women lead. Even in non-heterosexual relationships, the paradigms of leader and follower often prevail, with one person assuming the role deemed feminine and another the designated masculine role. No doubt it was someone playing the role of leader who conjured up the notion that we fall in love, that we lack choice and decision when choosing a partner because when the chemistry is present, when the click is there, it just happens, it overwhelms, it takes control. This way of thinking about love seems to be especially useful for men who are socialized via patriarchal notions of masculinity to be out of touch with what they feel. In the essay, Love and Need, Thomas Merton contends, the expression to fall in love reflects a peculiar attitude towards love and life itself, a mixture of fear, awe, fascination, and confusion. It amplifies, sorry, I read the word wrong. It implies suspicion, doubt, hesitation in the presence of something unavoidable, yet not fully reliable. If you do not know what you feel, then it is difficult to choose love. It is better to fall. Then you do not have to be responsible for your actions. 
even though psychoanalysts from from writing in the 50s to Peck in the present day critique the idea that we fall in love, we continue to invest in the fantasy of effortless union. We continue to believe we are swept away, caught up in the rapture, that we lack choice and will. In The Art of Loving, Fromm repeatedly talks about love as action, essentially an act of will. He writes, to love somebody is not just a strong feeling. It is a decision. It is a judgment. It is a promise. If love were a feeling, there would be no basis for the promise to love each other forever. A feeling comes and it may go. Peck builds upon Fromm's definition where he describes love as the will to nurture one's own or another's spiritual growth, adding, the desire to love is not itself love. Love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. Despite these brilliant insights and the wise counsel they offer, most people remain reluctant to embrace the idea that is more genuine, more real, to think of choosing to love rather than falling in love. Describing our romantic longings in life preservers, sorry, read it wrong, life preservers, Therapist Harriet Lerner shares that most people want a partner who is mature, intelligent, loyal, and trustworthy, loving and attentive, sensitive and open, kind, nurturant, com competent, and responsible. Pause. Who is mad at me for doing this? 1 a.m.? Come on, man. The soothing side? <laughs> okay. I'm doing a good job. You know I am. <clears throat> okay, continuing on with the reading in a soothing voice. No matter intensity of this desire, she concludes, few of us elevate a prospective partner with the same objectivity and clarity that we might use to select a household appliance or a car. To be capable of critically evaluating a partner, we would need to be able to stand back and look critically at ourselves, at our needs, desires, and longings. I'm sounding soothing, right guys? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, RPS. It was difficult for me to really take out a piece of paper and evaluate myself to see if I was able to give the love I wanted to receive and even more difficult to make a list of the qualities I wanted to find in a mate. I listened 10 times. Sorry, read it wrong. I listed 10 items. And then when I applied the list to men I had chosen as potential partners, it was painful to face the discrepancy between what I wanted and what I had chosen to accept. 
We fear that evaluating our needs and then carefully choosing partners will reveal that there is no one for us to love. Most of us prefer to have a partner who is lacking than no partner at all. Ouch, that is deep. What becomes apparent is that we may be more interested in finding a partner than in knowing love. Time and time again, when I talk to individuals about approaching love with will and intentionality, I hear the fear expressed that this will bring an end to romance. This is simply not so. Approaching romantic love from a foundation of care, knowledge, and respect actually intensifies romance. By taking the time to communicate with a potential mate, we are no longer trapped by the fear and anxiety underlying romantic interactions that take place without discussion or the sharing of intent and desire. I talked with a woman friend who stated that she had always been extremely fearful of sexual encounters, even when she knew someone well and desired them. Her fear was rooted in a shame she felt about the body, sentiments she had learned in childhood. Previously, her encounters with men had only intensified that shame. Usually, men made light of her anxiety. I suggested she might try meeting with a new man in her life over lunch with the set agenda of talking to him about sexual pleasure, their likes, dislikes, their hopes, and fears. She reported back that the lunch was incredibly erotic. It laid the groundwork for them to be at ease with each other sexually when they finally reached that stage in their relationship. Erotic attraction often serves as the catalyst for an intimate connection between two people, but it is not a sign of love. Exciting, pleasurable, Intercourse can take place between two people who do not even know each other. Yet the vast majority of males in our society are convinced that their erotic longing indicates who they should and can love. Led by their eggplant, because I'm doing a live and I don't know that I should say the actual body part at this moment. Podcast listeners, I'm making all sorts of faces as I'm recording this. They often end up in relationships with partners with whom they share no common interests or values. The pressure of men in a patriarchal society to perform sexually is so great that men are often so gratified to be with someone with whom they find pleasure sexually that they ignore everything else. They cover up these mistakes by working too much or finding playmates they like outside their committed marriage or partnership. It usually takes them a long time to let name the lovelessness they may feel. Oh yes, take a nap to my voice, Ricerone. Continuing on in my soothing voice. And this recognition usually has to be covered up to protect the sexist insistence that men never admit failure. Women rarely choose men solely on the basis of erotic connection. 
While most females acknowledge the importance of sexual pleasure, they recognize it is not the only ingredient needed to build strong relationships. And let's face it, the sexism of stereotyping women as caregivers makes it acceptable for our women to articulate emotional needs. So females are socialized to be more concerned about emotional connection. Women who have only named their erotic hunger in the wake of the permission given by the feminist movement and sexual liberation have always been able to speak their hunger for love. Like males, we often settle for lovelessness because we are attracted to other aspects of partners' makeup. Shared intercourse passion can be a sustaining and binding force in the troubled relationship, but it is not the proving ground for love. This is one of the great sadness of life. Too often, women and some men have their most intense pleasure with partners who wound them in other ways. The intensity of sexual intimacy does not serve as a catalyst for respect care, trust, understanding, and commitment. Couples who rarely or never have intercourse can know lifelong love. Intercourse pleasure enhances the bonds of love, but they can exist and satisfy when intercourse desire is absent. Yes, I'm substituting words because I feel like I'm saying intercourse too much for this life. Please, Don't nobody report me. (laughs) Uh, Ultimately, most of us would choose great love over sustained intercourse passion if we had to. Luckily, we do not have to make this choice because we usually have satisfying intercourse pleasure with our loved one. That's the dream. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Could not keep that to myself. The best intercourse and the most satisfying intercourse are not the same. I have had great intercourse with men. Okay, I swear she never went into this much detail in the preceding chapters, but anyways. Who are intimate terrorists. Whoa. That's, that's intimate terrorists. What a pairing of words. Men who seduce and attract by giving you just what you feel your heart needs then gradually or abruptly lack. I with I felt within myself and in my relationships. Oh wait, no 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 no, I skipped a page. I was like that sentence does not make any sense. Okay, let me read that again. I have had great intercourse with men who are intimate terrorists, men who seduce and attract. By giving you just what you feel your heart needs, then gradually or abruptly withholding it once they have gained your trust. And I have been deeply intercourse fulfilled in bonds with loving partners who have had less skills and know-how. Because of sexist socialization, women tend to put sexual satisfaction in its appropriate perspective. We acknowledge its value without allowing it to become the absolute measure of intimate connection. Enlightened women want fulfilling erotic encounters as much as men, but we ultimately prefer 
erotic satisfaction within a context where there is loving, intimate connection. I would say that's true for women. If men were socialized to desire love as much as they are taught to desire intercourse, we would see a cultural revolution. As it stands, most men tend to be more concerned about sexual performance and sexual satisfaction than whether they are capable of giving and receiving love. <clears throat> oh my God, this register of my voice is is hard to maintain. Okay, here we go. Even though intercourse matters, most of us are no more able to articulate sexual needs and longings than we are able to speak our desire for love. Ironically, the presence of life-threatening sexually transmitted diseases have become the reason more couples communicate with each other about erotic behavior. That is true. I think that's modern society. The very people, many of them men, who had heretofore claimed that too much talk made things less romantic, find that talks does not threaten pleasure at all. It merely changes its nature. Where once knowing nothing was the basis for excitement and erotic intensity, knowing more is now the basis. Lots of people who feared a loss of romantic or erotic intensity made this radical change in their thinking and were surprised to find that their previous assumptions that talk killed romance were wrong. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, accurate observation of societal change. Cultural acceptance of this change shows that we are all capable of shifting our paradigms. Truth. The foundational ways of thinking and doing things that become habitual. We are all capable of changing our attitudes about falling in love. We can acknowledge the click we feel when we meet someone new as just that a mysterious sense of connection that may or may not have anything to do with love. However, it could or could not be the primal connection while simultaneously acknowledging that it will lead us to love. How different things might be if, rather than saying, I think I'm in love. We were saying I've connected with someone in a way that makes me think I'm on the way to knowing love. Or if instead of saying, I am in love, we said, I am loving, or I will love. Our patterns around romantic love are unlikely to change if we, not, if we do not change our language. Wow. This is good stuff, y'all. I mean, I knew this reading this book, but this chapter really gets into the nooks of it. We are all uncomfortable with the conventional expressions we use to talk about romantic love. All of us feel that these expressions and the thinking behind them are one of the reasons we entered relationships that did not work. In retrospect, we see that to a grave extent, the way we talked about these bonds foreshadowed what happened in the relationship. I certainly changed the way I talk and think about love in response to the emotional lack I felt within myself and in my relationships, starting with clear definitions of love, of feeling, intention, and will, I no longer enter relationships with the lack of awareness that leads me to make all 
bonds the sight of repeating old patterns. Although I have experienced many disappointments in my quest to love and be loved, I still believe in the transformative power of love. Disappointment has not led me to close my heart. However, the more I talk with people around me, I find disappointment to be widespread, and it does lead many folks to feel profoundly cynical about love. <coughs> oh my God. <coughs> I'm still in there, guys. <clears throat> okay, sorry. That's probably really unpleasant to the podcast listeners. A lot of people simply think we make too much of love. Our culture may make much of love as compelling fantasy or myth, but it does not make much of the art of loving. Our disappointment about love is directed at romantic love. This is new. It is, right, Mosby? I'm simultaneously <clears throat> podcast reading and uh, and trying to uh, live. So... If you don't listen to the podcast, I try a lot of different things. <laughs> Mostly I try to finish this book, though. I think it's, it's, I mean, it's a great book. You can literally read any chapter in this book and feel profoundly changed. Or growth. Profound growth. Okay. Our disappointment about love is directed at romantic love. We fail at romantic love when we have not learned the art of loving. It is as simple as that. Often we confuse perfect passion with perfect love. A perfect passion happens when we meet someone who appears to have everything we wanted to find in a partner. I say appears because the intensity of our connection usually blinds us, aka love bombing is common, right? We see what we want to see. In Soulmates, Thomas More contends that the enchantment of romantic illusion has its place and that the soul thrives on ephemeral fantasies. While perfect passion provides us with its own particular pleasure and danger, for those of us seeking perfect love, it can only ever be a preliminary stage in the process. We can only move from perfect passion to perfect love when the illusion pass and we are able to use the energy and intensity generated by intense, overwhelming erotic bonding to heighten self-discovery. Perfect passions usually end when we awaken from our enchantment and find only that we have been carried away from ourselves. It becomes perfect love when our passion gives us the courage to face reality to embrace our true selves. Acknowledging this meaningful link between perfect passion and perfect love from the onset of a relationship can be the necessary inspiration that empowers us to choose love. When we love by intention and will, by showing care, respect, knowledge, and responsibility, our love satisfies. Individuals who want to believe that there is no fulfillment in love that true love does not exist, cling to these assumptions because this despair is actually easier to face than the reality that love is a real fact of life but is absent from their lives. In the last two years, I have talked a lot about love, 
My topic has been true love. It all started when I began to speak my heart's desire to say to friends, lecture, audiences, folks sitting next to me on buses and planes and in restaurants that I was looking for true love. Speak it to the universe, baby. Cynically, almost all my listeners would let me know I was looking for a myth. The few who still believe in true love offer their deep conviction that you can't look for it, that it's meant for you, it will just happen. People still say that. That is a common thing people say. Not only do I believe wholeheartedly that true love exists, I embrace the idea that its occurrence is a mystery, that it happens without any effort of human will. And if that's the case, then it will happen whether we look for it or not. True. But we do not lose love by looking for it. Yeah. Interesting. When you put it like that, it's so obvious. Indeed, those among us who have been hurt, disappointed, disillusioned must open our hearts if we want love to enter. The act of opening is a way of seeking love. I have had a taste of true love. The experience intensifies my longing and my desire to search. A true love in my life first appeared to me in a dream. I had been invited to a conference on film and was reluctant to attend. I hate being bombarded by lots of new ideas at one time. It feels to me like overeating. Yet, I had a dream in which I was told that if I went to this conference, I would meet a man of my dreams. Images in the dream were so vivid and real that I awakened with a sense of necessity. I called a girlfriend and told her my story. She agreed to go to the conference with me as my witness. A few weeks later, we arrived at the conference in the middle of a session in which speakers were on stage. I pointed to the man whose image had appeared in my dream. What? Is this real? After the session, I met him and we talked. Meeting him was like seeing a long lost relative or friend. We went to dinner. There was a feeling of mutual recognition between us from the start. It was as though we knew each other. As our conversation progressed, he told me he was in a committed relationship. I was puzzled and disturbed. I could not believe divine forces in the universe would lead me to this man of my dreams when there was no real possibility of fully realizing those dreams. Of course, those dreams were all about being in a romantic relationship. That was the beginning of a difficult lesson in true love. I learned that we may meet true love and that our lives may be transformed by such an encounter, even when it does not lead to sexual pleasure, committed bonding, or even sustained contact. The myth of true love, that fairy tale vision of two souls who meet, join, and live happily thereafter is the stuff of childhood fantasy. Yet many of us, female and male carry these fantasies into adulthood and are unable to cope with the reality of what it means either to have an intense life-altering connection that will not lead to an ongoing relationship or to be in a relationship. True love does not always lead to happily ever after and even when it does, 
sustaining love still takes work. All relationships have ups and downs. Romantic fantasy often nurtures the belief that difficulties and downtimes are an indication of a lack of love rather than part of the process. In actuality, true love thrives on the difficulties. The foundation of such love is the assumption that we want to grow and expand to become more fully ourselves. There is no change that does not bring with it a feeling of challenge and loss. When we experience true love, it may feel as though our lives are in danger. We may feel threatened. True love is different from the love that is rooted in basic care, goodwill, and just plain old everyday attraction. We are all continually attracted to folks. We like their style, the way they think, the way they look, etc. Whom we know that given a chance, we could love in a heartbeat. In his insightful book of Love and Awakening, Discovering the Sacred Path of Intimate Relationships, John Wellwood makes a useful distinction Distinction. <laughs> Sorry. Distinction between this type of attraction, familial to us all, which he calls a heart connection, and another type he calls a soul connection. Here is how he defines it. Yes, thank you, Fancy. I am reading for the podcast. A soul connection is a resonance between two people who respond to the essential beauty of each other's individual natures behind their facades and who connect on a deeper level. This kind of mutual recognition provides the catalyst for a potent alchemy. Thank you for the rose, Fancy. It is sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. While a heart connection lets us appreciate those we love just as they are, a soul connection opens up a further dimension, seeing and loving them for who they could be and for who we could become under their influence. Making a heart connection with someone is usually not a difficult process. Throughout our lives, we meet lots of people with whom we feel that special click that could take us on the path of love. But this click is not the same as a soul connection. Often, a deeper bonding with another person, a soul connection happens, whether we will it to be so or not. Indeed, sometimes we are drawn towards someone without knowing why, even when we do not desire contact. Several couples I talked with who have found true love enjoyed telling the story of how one of them did not find the other at all appealing at first meeting, even though they felt mysteriously joined to that individual. Oh my gosh, that's my love story. Adonis and I did not feel chemistry when we first met, although we felt something. (laughs) Okay, here we go. In all cases where individuals felt that they had known true love, everyone testified that the bonding was not easy or simple. So true, our bonding was not easy or simple. I would say that. To many folks, this seems confusing precisely because our fantasy of true love is that it will be just that, simple and easy. I will say it did feel simple and easy at times. 
<clears throat> but in the beginning, it was not. Usually, we imagine that true love will be intensely pleasurable and romantic, full of love and light. In truth, true love is all about work. The poet Rainier Maria R. Rilke, Rilke wisely observed, like so much else, people have also misunderstood the place of love in life. They had made it into play and pleasure because they thought that play and pleasure was more blissful than work. But there is nothing happier than work and love. Just because it is the extreme happiness can be nothing else but work. Hmm, I don't know. I don't feel like right now our relationship feels like work. The essence of true love is a mutual recognition, two individuals seeing each other as they really are. That's accurate. We all know that the usual approach is to meet someone we like and put our best self forward, or even at times a false self. One who will believe, be more appealing to the person we want to attract. Okay, I'm gonna have to end at page 184 because I am so hungry. <laughs> I got super hungry just now. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that, is going to be the podcast recording. I'm going to sign off on the podcast. That's episode 18. I think next one I'll just read my normal self. All I see is your book. <laughs> um, all right. I'll probably finish this chapter this week. What week is it? May, week of 17th? May 17th? Okay. Thank you for listening, my podcast fam. Let me sign off on the podcast. We were listening today. What's today's date? Masara! I mean, sorry. Masaru! <laughs> sorry, I went I went um, totally dyslexic. I didn't. That I don't mean to be offensive, but I totally switched around the words. Um... Hi, Masaru. Your surgery was yesterday. How are you today? I hope you're well. I'm gonna say good recording this week, 18th of May today. So today on this podcast, we had Masaru, Jobless Sunday, Fancy, Fluff Rays, RPS, Rice went to nap, I think. Anyways, Thanks for tuning in. I'll make another one before I leave for Turks and Caicos this Friday. So, signing off. Mwah!